tonight I want to finish up the book of Acts. I'm going to go over some of the things that we discussed last time because it's been several weeks since we were together with the, the schedule being as it is. And so I want to rehearse some of the things that we talked about last time and then definitely have some new material that I want to cover for you as well. I'd ask you to start by joining me in prayer and uh, asking the Lord to teach us and be our guide tonight. Lord, we're grateful for what you've done already. We're grateful for the lives that have been changed. And we're grateful, Lord, for those that are considering joining our church. And pray that uh, as the counselors are sitting down in a few minutes and talking to those people, we just pray that you would direct their path, that you would show them that this is a place they should call home. And thank you for the amount of your family and what they mean to me, what they mean to my family. And uh, we're grateful for what you're doing here. Uh, God, would you continue to do your vital work in this place? May we continue to be focused on the Great Commission and what you want to do in us and what you want to do through us. And now, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and would be our guide. Show us from your word uh, some more truth from the book of Acts. Help us to understand it. Give us knowledge beyond our ability. And may it be the teacher, the Spirit of God being the teacher tonight. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I hope you got your Bibles open to the book of Acts. And again, some of this, the first part of this will be uh, somewhat of a review. I'll go through pretty quickly on that, and then we'll get into some new material. First of all, let me review with you the importance of the book of Acts. Uh, I told you last time, Acts is the only book in the Bible that tells us how the early church was born. If you did not have the book of Acts, what you would do is this. You'd read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'd be reading about the story of Jesus. And then if you didn't have the book of Acts, you would go to what book? If they were in their current order, what would be your next book you'd be reading? Romans. And so you'd start in Romans, going from the Gospels to the story of Jesus. You'd go to Romans, and, and as you're reading the first chapter in Romans, you'd be like, okay, question. First of all, who's Paul? We didn't read about Paul anywhere in the Gospels. Then you'd be reading about, oh, another question, what's the church? That, that doesn't, to the church in Rome, well, what's a church? You wouldn't know that if you didn't have the book of Acts. And there's so many things like that as you go through the book of Acts that, that we find out about. Uh, how, another question would be, how did the gospel even get to Rome? I mean, if it started out in Jerusalem and Rome's 2,000 miles away, how did the gospel even get to Rome? You would know the answer to those questions if you didn't have the book of Acts. And so Acts is a bridge between the Gospels and the, the general letters or the, the epistles uh, like the book of Romans. Acts gives us that vital information. Number two, talking about the importance of the book. The book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Most of you know this, but in Acts chapter 1, uh, look how it starts. Go back to Acts chapter 1 since you have your Bibles there. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's talking here about what book is he talking about? Talk to me. Luke. So the gospel writer Luke, of course, wrote the, the book of Luke. He says, now in my first book or my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And, and then really what he says is, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit and to the apostles he had chosen. 
And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And if you continue to read the first chapter, here's what you find out. What Jesus began to do, Gospel of Luke, he continued to do, the book of Acts, through the apostles. So that's one of the reasons why this book is so important. It helps us see uh, that Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. What Jesus began to do... uh, When he walked the earth, he now is doing through his people and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Another uh, thing, number three, the importance of the book, Acts introduces us to the vital role of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that further in in a little bit, so I don't want to to get too far into that. But throughout the book of Acts, again and again and again, I won't say on every page, but probably in nearly every chapter, you will see a reference to the Holy Spirit. The, the star player in the story is the Holy Spirit. The, the key actor is the Holy Spirit. Throughout this book, the Holy Spirit demonstrates uh, His work that Christianity is not a man-made thing. Christianity is a supernatural thing carried out by the Holy Spirit. Number four, talk about the importance of the book of Acts. This is just review, going hitting it quickly. Number four, Acts has two natural divisions that are often used to explain this book. Two natural divisions, if you're taking notes, if you didn't get it last time, are these. Sometimes people divide the book into two parts. Chapters 1 through 12 is Peter presenting the gospel. Chapters 1 through 12 focuses primarily on Peter and he is presenting the gospel. And then in chapters 13 through 28... It really switches, and Paul is now the main focus, and he's carrying the gospel to new places. So Peter, in Jerusalem, that's a key word, in Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 12, Peter is primarily in Jerusalem presenting the gospel. Chapters 13 and following through 28 is Paul traveling the world, carrying the gospel, proclaiming the gospel around the world. So that's one of the ways that the book of Acts has been outlined. Another natural way that the book is outlined is in chapter 1, verse 8. Would you look at the text? You know this verse, I'm sure. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Now look at these geographical references. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And actually, that's the way the book unfolds. Chapters 1 through 7 deals with the church in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 10 deals with the church in Samaria and Judea. And chapters 11 through 28 is the church taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's just the the way the book is often divided. And then number 5, the book covers the first 30 years of the church, which is an important time of transition. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, tonight as well. But really, the first 30 years of Christianity, we learn about the first 30 years of Christianity by the book of Acts. And then number six, the last thing as far as review. Acts focuses on the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. If you don't get anything else, I want you to understand this key point. That really the story of Acts is the story of the movement of the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and moving all the way to Rome. And I told you last time, I'm not going to go over it tonight, but you really can see the movement of the gospel in six different panels or six different segments 
of the book. The, the, the gospel moved geographically. The gospel moved to different races. The gospel, there was this movement brought about by the Holy Spirit of this gospel. And if you didn't get all of that, I'll be happy to share it with you or you can get online and, and follow it. But that is a, a key component in reading Acts. The movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. Now, all that's, that was just reviewed, kind of bring us all on the same page. Now, as, as far as the new material tonight, I want to talk to you about the keys to understanding Acts. The keys to understanding Acts. I recognize that if you've been reading with us, you've already read through the book. So it's like, well, why are we talking about Acts now? I've already read the book. Well, I want you to be able to go back in hindsight and understand the book that you've read. Now that you've read it and you've got an idea of what's in it, I want you to be able to go back and say, oh yeah, I understand, I see that, I get that. So, let me give you some keys to understanding the book of Acts. I might even let you out early tonight. Would anybody be opposed to that? Anybody believe it'll happen? My voice is going to give out, so I may have to. All right, so keys to understanding the book of Acts. Number one. This is new material, number one. You need to note the large number of speeches that Luke records throughout the narrative. If you want to understand the book of Acts, you need one of the keys is to realize that a lot of the narrative is built on speeches that are made. I'm going to give you this information. We're not going to have time to read all of this, but if you're taking notes, I want to give you some of the examples of the speeches you find throughout the book of Acts. For example, Peter. Peter does a lot of speaking in the first half of the book. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 39 is one example. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 39. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. And chapter 10, verses 27 to 43. These are all sermons speeches that Peter gives. We'll talk about what, what's in these in a moment, but just want you to understand that as you're trying to grab hold of what's in this book, one of the things you'll come in contact with a lot is people giving speeches or sermons, all right? That's Peter. Let me give you another one. Stephen. Stephen speaks in chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. Stephen gives us the most detailed account or summary of the Old Testament in all of the Bible. It's fascinating to read chapter 7 because Stephen summarizes for you the entire Old Testament and shows how it relates to the gospel. That's chapter 7, Stephen. And then the third person that is predominant in the book of Acts as far as speeches is, of course, the Apostle Paul. I'll give you some references for him. There's three predominant speeches from Paul. One is in chapter 13, verse 16 to 47. Chapter 13, verse 16 to 47. Another was in chapter 17, verse 22 to 31. Chapter 17, verse 22 to 31. And then chapter 20, verses 17 to 35. Chapter 20, verse 17 to 35. Now, it's interesting when these speeches occur. I don't think they're random. 
These speeches appear at key points in the narrative, and they illustrate how the gospel is presented to the people, and sometimes how the gospel is defended. We, we use the word apologetics today. Paul is, an, is a good example, especially in Acts, I think it's chapter 16, where, where Paul is presenting the gospel in an apologetic way, and I don't mean apologizing for, but rather defending the gospel, defending the truth of the gospel. So this is, this is what you find throughout the book of Acts, especially the Apostle Paul, uh, people speaking at key points and illustrating how the gospel is preached, how it's shared, and how it goes forth. Now, in each of these cases, when you read these speeches, in each of these cases, you'll see that the essence of the story is about Jesus, or the story concludes with Jesus. That's a key point. In all of these speeches that you're reading in the book of Acts, the essence of the story is about Jesus, or the story concludes with Jesus. I think we've got the time to read one. Let's, let's just read uh, Peter. Go to uh, chapter 2, since that's the first one. Chapter 2, verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Now, to give you the context, this is the, the day that the Holy Spirit came on the believers at Pentecost. And as the Spirit of God came on people at Pentecost, it says in verse 4, all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So we know from that verse that when it talks about them speaking in other tongues, it's not talking about some kind of ecstatic gibberish. But actually what was happening was the, the apostles began to speak in languages they had never learned. I, I, I wish that happened today. I really do. I wish I could kind of plug into that one, all right? And what were they speaking? They were speaking the truths of God because there were people in Jerusalem from all kinds, many different nations, many different languages were represented in Jerusalem. And when the apostles be, were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak the gospel in other languages. People were beginning to hear the gospel for the very first time in their heart language. That's what it's talking about, verse 7 and following. Utterly amazed, they ask, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, and it lists all the places. It says, verse 11, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? You would ask that question too. I would ask that question. What, what does this mean? Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. What it means is they're drunk. Then, verse 14, here's Peter. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, for goodness sake. I put the goodness sake in there. But... No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now watch what happens here. Peter's going to give this sermon. He's going to give this speech. And as he gives this sermon or this speech, he takes the people who are confused and perplexed. He says, let me open the scripture for you. And where does he go? Joel, to the Old Testament. Why did he do that? Hint. We didn't have a New Testament at that time. Right? We didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So how is he going to explain who Jesus is? It's interesting. You know how he explains who Jesus is? He doesn't go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those documents have not yet been written. Those stories have not yet been told. He opens the Old Testament to explain who Jesus is. I think that's pretty cool. All right, let's see what happens. Again, we're just examining one speech. So he said... No, verse 13, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And for sake of time, he explains all of that people, or all that to the people. And he says in verse, uh, in verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you mark your Bibles, would you underline the word everyone? It's a key word in the gospel or in the book of Acts. This concept, we begin to see it early in the book of Acts, that salvation is not just for the Jews. But this gospel, this salvation, is for everyone. It's for anyone, if you will. Now, so he explains that. Men of Israel, he says, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And so right away, he's going to talk about Jesus. Again, you see that in many of the speeches in the book of Acts, that Jesus is the center of that speech, or at least he is explained at the end of the speech, that everything is driving towards that idea of Jesus. So here, he talks about Jesus almost immediately. He says, this man, verse 23 was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, but you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. David said about him, he goes back to the Old Testament. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, he's quoting Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. goes back to the Old Testament and talks about Jesus uh, as David had described him. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the what? We're all witnesses of the what? Of the fact. By the way, remember, he's giving this speech in Jerusalem. He's giving this speech in the very place where Christ was crucified. He's giving this speech in the very place where Christ was resurrected. And so when he said, we are all witnesses of this fact, everybody was shaking their head like, yeah, we know. We've heard about that too. And so we don't have time to dig into this whole speech, but, but I just want you to see that you have these key speeches throughout the book of Acts. Peter, in the first half, 
Stephen in chapter 7 give us, giving us a summary of the Old Testament and how it applies to Jesus. And then Paul in the second half, three times, giving a defense of the gospel, explaining who Jesus is. And all of these speeches all have the same basic goal. I want you to know who Jesus is, and I want you to understand what Jesus has done. So that's, that's what you see in the book of Acts. One of the keys to understanding this book is to understand that these stories these speeches, these sermons are not random. Strategically placed to explain to the people the gospel. That's how the gospel was spread. Now, number two. I want you to note if you, another key to understanding the book of Acts. Number two is this. Note the connection between Jesus and the Spirit. If you're taking notes, put a big star beside that one because it's such an important point. Note the connection between Jesus and and the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, you will see again and again and again and again this idea of Jesus being mentioned, but also the working of the Holy Spirit, helping people to understand who Jesus is. Let me show you this connection. Let's start in chapter 1. Chapter 1. We read this last time, but let's read it again, and then we'll switch to chapter 10. Chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. He's talking to the apostles. He said, now listen, guys, don't leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait here. And here's what I want you to wait for. Wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with what? You know why that's important? Because what God was about to do was not something built on on man. It was not man's ingenuity. It was not man's idea. This was going to be something from God. This was going to be a God thing. And he says, now listen, this is not something you can do on your own. This is not something you're capable of doing. The task I'm about to give you is so big, human ingenuity cannot accomplish it. The task I'm about to give you is so incredibly important. We can't just leave it to chance that you guys in determination will get it done. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to wait. Don't go anywhere. Till. Till you receive the Holy Spirit. I know you want to tell people about me, and I want you to tell people about me, Jesus would say, but don't you leave here until God has given you the Holy Spirit. And throughout the we see that in chapter 1, and throughout the book of Acts, you see this connection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In fact, look what he says in verse 8. A very famous verse, you know the verse, but, but let's read it again with fresh eyes. Verse 8. But you will receive power... When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's why you don't need to go anywhere. That's why you need to wait. Because you need power you don't have. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Not because you're such good guys. Not because you're cut above everybody else. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because of the Holy Spirit at work in you. So wait. Don't go anywhere 
until my heavenly Father sends the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to run to chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Again, looking at the connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, Peter is speaking to some people in Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius lived in Caesarea, a beautiful place on the coast there in Israel. And Cornelius was a Gentile who was seeking God. Peter was sent to Cornelius' house to explain the gospel to him. But that as the background. Let's read verse 38 and following. Well, let's start in verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God, appoint, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Look at this connection. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who under the power of the devil because God was with him. How was God with him? Through the Holy Spirit. Alright, so, so here Peter is saying, listen, listen, you, you know all that Jesus did? Do you know how he did it? It was by the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. and Working through him. Now keep reading. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the peoples testify about him and every. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, look at verse 44 and following. So Peter is preaching Jesus in these previous verses. And look what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, these words about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. There's this undeniable connection throughout the book. Jesus and the gospel and the Holy Spirit validating what was said. Look, look at what it says in verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. So as you're reading the book of Acts, you need to note the connection you will see this so often, this connection between Jesus, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit validating, explaining who Jesus is. You see, the, some people have said you could call uh, the book of Acts the Acts of the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is ultimately responsible at every major turning point in the narrative. Hear this. Every major turning point in the narrative, the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for what happens. 
The Spirit was the key to Jesus' earthly ministry as, as He was performing miracles and preaching. And now, the Spirit is going to be the driving force behind the movement of the gospel. It's going to be the driving force behind the church. So at every key juncture, in every key person, it is the Spirit of God that plays the leading role in the book of Acts. So, the gospel is about Jesus, yes. But it is orchestrated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity went from Jerusalem and, and a Judea or a Judaism-based doctrine all the way to Rome and a Gentile, predominantly Gentile phenomenon. And the way that it moved in such a strange and a large direction, the way that it moved was the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that gives me plenty of time to talk about this last. We're in good shape. I want to talk to you about the third key. What's the, let's review. What's the first key? Help me. What's the first key? Say it louder, please. Yeah, the speeches. Understanding the speeches and the key role they play in the narrative. What's the second key? Connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You see, it's almost like where you see one, you see the other uh, throughout the book, of, the book of Acts. Here's the third one. Third key to understanding the book of Acts. Note that Luke regularly reminds us that the gospel is God's thing. Or to say it another way, Luke regularly reminds us that nothing can hinder the gospel. I really like this part of the study that nothing can hinder the gospel. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Throughout the whole book, that's, kind of, that's one of the themes you will see. For example, chapters 3 through 5. Go to Acts chapters 3 through 5. We're not going to read all of that. I'm just going to read one verse. Acts chapters 3 through 5. The Jewish leaders are opposing... In Acts 3 through 5, they're opposing what Peter and John are doing. As they're sharing the gospel, they're opposing, they're, they're losing market share. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, are losing market share. They're afraid that more people are going to turn to Christianity and walk away from Judaism. So they're, they're losing market share and they're really uh, opposed to the message that, G, that Peter and John are preaching. Plus, Peter and John, when they're preaching, say, basically, you Jews killed them. It's your fault. And so the Sanhedrin are pushing against that, trying to stop it. In fact, they threaten Peter and John. They jail Peter and John. They, they beat Peter and John, trying to stop the gospel. Look in chapter 5, verse 39. They're having this big debate. The apostles have been persecuted. They're having this big debate, and about what we need to do with these people. And there was a Pharisee named Gamaliel. And, and here's what he said. Verse 35. Gamaliel addressed them and said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. That is to Peter and John. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all of his followers were dispersed. And it, it all came to nothing. Verse 37. After him... Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. And he too was killed and 
All of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, Peter and John talking about Jesus. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, exclamation mark. Let them go, exclamation mark. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will what? But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire book of Acts. He said, listen, I I just want to advise you. We've had other people come through and say they are somebody, and it always ends in nothing. Yeah, once they die, their followers go away. I want to tell you something. You try to stop these men and the message that they're sharing, listen, just, just let them go. Just let them go. Because if it's of men, it's eventually going to die out. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop them. Guess what? It's exactly what you see in the rest of the book. People trying their best to stop the gospel and unable to do so. Now, let me show you a few examples of that before we leave. Uh, not only can do the Jewish leaders try to stop it, unbelieving Jews like Saul, Saul, bent on destroying the church, bent on destroying the gospel. Look in chapter 8. Chapter 8, you know the story of Saul. Verse 1, And Saul was there giving approval to his death, to the death of Stephen. And on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, look at this, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And later, Saul in his testimony, we have time to read it, but later in the book of Acts, Saul is giving his testimony and he said, listen, I thought it was my duty to do everything possible to stop this message. Here, Baptist, tell me what happened to this guy who was persecuting the church and wanted to destroy it. What happened to him? He got saved, didn't he? In fact, the, 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 the believers in one of the cities said, listen, we've heard about this guy. We know all about his reputation. He's tried his best to destroy the church and Christianity. But now he's become one of them. You know why? Because the gospel is a God thing. And there is no one who can stop it. You see that again and again and again across the book of Acts. Let me give you another example. Um, This one might surprise you. How about the church in Jerusalem? You heard me right. The church in Jerusalem. how, How did they try to stop the gospel? Look in chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, the the whole story is about the Gentiles who came to faith in Christ because Peter dared to go into the home of a Gentile. Now that's something that a Jew would never do. A Jew would never, ever, 
It was against their law. That Jew would never go into the house of a Gentile. They'd be considered unclean if they did that. Peter not only went into the house of a, of a, of a Gentile, but Peter told that Gentile how he could place his faith in Christ. And the, the Jewish Christians in that New Testament church, again, it was, a, it was a young group of people, young believers, but the Jewish Christians, they could not understand, Peter, how could you do that? You know that salvation is only for the Jews. You under, Jesus was a Jew. The gospel is, is a Jewish gospel. Why would you go into the house of a Gentile? And so Peter has to explain to these young Jewish believers the true nature of the gospel. And so, for sake of time, chapter 11, verse 17. Peter is explaining how the Holy Spirit, again, we see this concept of the Spirit of God and Jesus, the gospel, connected together. Uh, he says, verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift He gave us, if God gave these Gentiles the Holy Spirit like He gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could do what? Oppose God. But he said, I understand what you're saying, guys. I understand that it's hard for you as a Jewish Christian to believe that a Gentile could come to faith in Christ. But, but I saw it with my own eyes. I saw these Gentiles place their faith in Christ, and I saw that they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. And so, guys, you need to understand something. Who am I to try to oppose God? A couple more real quickly. Secular leaders like Herod. Next chapter, chapter 12, Herod opposed the gospel. And for sake of time, I'll just give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version. Herod opposed the gospel, and he not only opposed the gospel, he pretended essentially to be God there in Caesarea. And the, the bottom line is, Herod ended up being eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Verse 23, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But, notice this, verse 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. You cannot stop what God is doing. And you see that throughout the book. Well, for sake of time, I want to move on to one or two others. Uh, how about prison? There are those who, who imprisoned the apostles and those who imprisoned the Apostle Paul trying to at least contain the gospel, if not stop it. But let, let's look in chapter 16. Chapter 16. In chapter 16, for sake of time, in chapter 16, uh, verses 16 through 40, if you're taking notes. And in chapter 19... Verse 23 through 41. 23 through 41. You will see in, in both of those situations that even though they were placed in prison and they were sometimes threatened or beaten, that the gospel continued to spread. And then the last one would be this. Not even mighty Rome could stop the spread of the gospel. Not even mighty Rome the most powerful country in the world at that time, could not stop the spread of the gospel. Look in chapter 28. 
I want you to notice how this book ends. In chapter 28, Paul is in Rome. He's in Rome as a prisoner. He's in Rome as a prisoner. And yet, the gospel goes forth. Chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. That is, as a prisoner, house arrest is what we would call it today. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And look at verse 31, the last verse in the book. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you can't understand the book of Acts unless you understand this movement of the gospel. And it was such a God thing that it could not be stopped. I want to close by showing you a map. This is a map that they're going to put up of the New Testament world. And uh, I need to get my glasses so I can help you here. Look at this map of the New Testament world. You may not be able to make out all the locations from where you are, but in the lower right corner is Israel. What we would call Israel today. In purple, the lower right corner, is the city of Jerusalem. This is where the church was born. This is, of course, where Christ died, buried, resurrected, uh, where Pentecost occurred, where the church was birthed, and for the first, uh, essentially, for the first 11, 12 chapters of Acts, that's where the church was located. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, it begins to spread out some, but essentially, in the first half of the book of Acts, the church is located in and at least around Jerusalem. You remember the book of Acts covers a period of how many years? 30 years. Three decades. 30 years. Within 30 years, the gospel went from Jerusalem there in purple. And this, this is not all the places, but it would just show you some of the places. It went to places like Damascus. If you go north of Jerusalem, Damascus, it circled there. Went to places like Antioch, over to the left. Went to the area of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. We get our book Galatians from that. Over to the left, to Ephesus, there in Asia. Northwest, up to Philippi. Over to the left, to Thessalonica, to Berea. Go south of that, to Athens, to Corinth. We get the, the letter, the first, second Corinthians. And then ultimately, if you go over to Italy, to the next purple, you see Rome. Because when the book of Acts begins, it begins in Jerusalem. And in chapter 28, when the book of Acts comes to a conclusion, Paul is in Rome in prison. And boldly and without hindrance, he continued to teach and preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the book ends. It is fascinating how quickly and how far the gospel expanded. In a period of time of 30 years, three decades, the church that began in Jerusalem expanded across the Roman Empire. Within three decades, Christians were worshiping in house churches in Israel, in Syria, in Turkey, in Greece, and even in Rome, 2,000 miles away. I'd say it's a God thing. It's a God thing. 
as we were reading through, I'm going to close with this, in chapter 28, as we were reading this month through the book of Rome, or not Rome, uh, through the book of Acts. In chapter 28, verse 15, Paul arrives in Rome. And I just think this is so cool. In chapter 28, verse 15, Paul arrives in Rome. And would you read the verse and tell me who is there to greet him? Chapter 28, verse 15. Who's in Rome when he, when he, his goal has always been, look at the map real quick. His goal has always been, I want to go to Rome. I hope to go to Rome. One day I plan to go to Rome. His goal has always been to take the gospel to the Gentile capital of Rome. Now, he gets there in Rome. Who's there to greet him? Chapter 28, verse 15. Who's there to greet him? Chapter 28, verse 15. The brothers, the brothers there, the brothers there in Rome had heard that, they, that we were coming and they traveled as far as a form of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Here's what you need to understand. When Paul finally made it to Rome, the gospel had already been there. Christians had already, been, uh, had already come to faith in Christ. In fact, the gospel had spread so much that when they got word, when the church in Rome got word that Paul is coming, he's coming as a prisoner, but he's going to be on that ship coming. When they got word, the brothers came to greet him. Now certainly when Paul got to Rome, the gospel spread further than it had. He developed the church, no doubt about that. But my point is this, how the word of God spread all the way, so far, so fast, can only be explained by God. And that is the book of Acts. It's interesting how it ends. If you and I were, read, were writing the book, we'd have a different ending, I think, wouldn't we? You're leaving Paul in prison. What happened to Paul? More than likely, tradition says, more than likely, that Paul was released from prison and he took the gospel as far as Spain before he was arrested again brought back to Rome and executed. And yet, the gospel continues to be spread around the world. Because you can't stop it. You can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. 